story of redemption, and it's a story of redemption on multiple fronts. So let me just back up a little bit and tell you Keith and Tanya's story from my perspective. Because they have a story of redemption that allows them to be Boaz's in other people's lives. So I met Tanya, and Tanya, you'll have to correct me because we haven't talked about your testimony in a while, but I met Tanya for the first time when she was serving me at a banquet, a Young Life banquet, where she was a high school, high school senior, I think, and um, she had just come to know the Lord. Like somewhere in the course of your high school career, you found Jesus through, through a ministry called Young Life. And God transformed her life, and then she went uh, to school in Boston, and she got involved with our church, and she was discipled and equipped through Young Life and through our church uh, to the point that she um, grew in her faith to become one who led others to the Lord and had compassion and generosity for other people's lives. But her life was pursued in high school by Jesus when she didn't know him. Keith uh, grew up in a Christian home, and, but the, his story is, is that his heart was broken for the poor and vulnerable because his parents um, were foster care parents. And so he has foster care brothers and sisters, both those that were adopted by his family, but those who passed through his family. And his life was shaped by the compassion and generosity of his parents. So we all have a story. And I can tell you for Keith's story that he saw the brokenness and the heartache and the destruction of foster kids' lives in his own home through their coming and goings and their own journeys and their trials. And he, he saw the brokenness of the system when he was a kid. But the redemption of Jesus in his life gave him hope beyond the bad stories to the stories that could be, including the stories that are being birthed in his own home now. So we all have a story. And we've been journeying with a story through Ruth. And so we have a biblical story. And I'm, for the sake of time, going to take you on a uh, Ruth 1, 2, 3, and 4 story because we've been following a story of redemption of a man and a woman who in chapter 1 were um, in, 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 in the middle of a famine, in the middle of a, a severe trial for their life. And uh, there's, there's not any commentary necessarily in the story of Ruth about whether or not they made the right decision to go to Moab, but they chose to. And they chose to go to another part of the, of, the, of the world, not far from Bethlehem, not far from where they were. They could actually see the land of Moab from their, from their home, but far enough to remove them completely from their, their community and, their, and their, their, their security. And they have a story. They have a story of, of being uh, foreigners in another community. They have a story of being isolated. They have a story of depending um, on the people that they, they recently met to give them a place in their community to find food and to find shelter. And then we don't know much about their story, but they spend years there, probably, um, well, anyway, they spend multiple years there, long enough for some other hard things to happen in their life. Um, for Elimelech, Naomi's husband, um, to die. And then for her sons to marry Moabite women, which, honestly, um, as Jewish writers would write about that story, was not the choice that probably that family should have made. They're, they're usually in that context, if 
they're looking for spouses, they would go back and find spouses from their own people, from um, their own culture, but they didn't. They chose to marry Moabite women. And over, the t- over time, the husbands die, so Naomi's sons die. And so Naomi's left with her daughters-in-law. And so we, we learned about this story in Ruth chapter 1, and we, 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 we journeyed with the reality that in comparison with Ruth, I mean with Naomi and her husband and her, her, her children, and then now what she's left with, her daughters-in-law, that there is pain in her journey, pain both in the circumstances that she experienced, pain in the choices that her family made, but she has a story of brokenness. She has a story of aloneness. We're talking about Naomi here, and, in, and ultimately, as we enter, Ruth enters the story, Ruth has a similar story of losing her own husband and losing hope for her future or could have lost hope for her future. But in the story of Naomi and Ruth's life, we see them journeying with God. And so the first question I ask us as we look back at Ruth 1 and we asked as we went through that part of the story is, that are we aware, are we up to date on our own stories? Where do we come from? What, what, what have we experienced? What are we experiencing? What is the, the journey of our story with God? And what we touched on and what Brendan touched on in that first week is that it's all right for us to have a story and it's all right for our story to be known. And not only is it all right, but it's, it's, it's necessary for us to embrace our story. It's interesting in our culture sometimes when we embrace our stories, we, um, uh, we tend to make light or make, um, minimize our pain. And I think in some ways we do that so that we don't have to deal with our pain. But the only way for us to truly be healed of our pain is for us to go to the place of pain with our Savior, with God. To coat it, to cover it, to laugh at it, to to minimize it is not to truly be healed in it. But the healing comes when we stare our pain in the face and say, God, I need you. If you remember Um, In Naomi's journey at the end of chapter 1 into chapter 2, back to Bethlehem, when she meets her kinfolk, when she meets her community, she asks them not to call her Naomi, but she changes her name to define what she is going through in her soul. I am a bitter woman. I've experienced bitterness. Though I cling to God, this story of mine has been hard. So we want you to know as we talk about this journeying of, of, of knowing our stories, we are not wanting to minimize yours or our story. Because in the place of our pain and our brokenness, both by our choices and by the way that the world has engaged us or that we've experienced life without our choice, we all have pain and we all have a story and we all have a Redeemer that wants to heal us of our, from our pain and to restore us into something better. But we've got we've to go there to touch and encounter the redemption of God. So what we've been talking about and what we've been, we've been trying to do is say, okay, we need to know each other's stories. We need to sit down and we need to learn about what's going on in each other's lives. And we need to listen. We need to ask questions. We need to listen. We need to be willing to share. And we need to be willing to go there for a number of reasons. 
so that we can experience more healing, so we can experience deeper community, so that we can be impacted by somebody else's story and be transformed and changed so that we can be inspired. How many of you were inspired by Keith and Tanya sharing this morning? You're, you're, you're so inspired, you're scared. I know you. I know me. I'm listening. Oh, Lord, I don't want to be convicted anymore. But I want to hear the story so that God can speak to me through our stories. So we follow Ruth and we follow Ruth back to Bethlehem. And, 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 and before we get back to Bethlehem, we remember this, this just very poignant confession of Ruth, her daughter-in-law, when she says to her, when Naomi says, go back home, and and Ruth says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried with you. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. By faith in God and being transformed by an encounter with God, Ruth not only wanted to follow her, her God, but she was committed deeply to the one who shared her story. Did you hear that again? Not only was Ruth transformed, we, we, we get the picture from Ruth 1 that she found God through Naomi and their family. This was not her God before she met her husband. In Naomi, but she embraced the living God. But through embracing the living God, she embraced his family. And her story was inextricably related and joined with Naomi's story. If we're going to have deep community as a church, and if we're going to have a community that impacts a community, we're not just knowing each other's stories so we can go, oh man, I got to know some stories this week. You want to hear a story? I got a story. We receive each other's stories as if we're family. And when we hear our family story, we enter into their life by embracing who they are and what God is doing, what He has done and what He is doing. And that's what Naomi did. And then they turned after she said that they turned and they went back to Bethlehem. You know, uh, just that, that word return in, in um, Ruth 1 is the same Hebrew word that's used for repentance. Somewhere Naomi said, you know what? We've made a go of it out here. Maybe in our own strength. Maybe in our own resources. Maybe, our, maybe whatever. But the only place I have for redemption is with my God and back home. It's very similar to the prodigal son story, isn't it? He takes his inheritance, he goes off, it's a little bit different, but he goes up to another land, he spends his inheritance, and as he wakes up in the pig pen, what does he remember? My father is my provider. I need to go back to him. And so they they turn, chapter 2, who do they meet? They meet what we will understand and unpack here really quickly, they meet their kinsman redeemer. They meet, they meet or who will become their family redeemer. They meet Boaz. They're in a desperate place. Ruth goes out. She's looking for food. She discerns that this field is a field of safety. The scripture, if you remember, says it so happens that she discovers Boaz's field. 
It so happens that God leads us into his blessing if we'll follow him. God led her into the field of Boaz. Boaz is a kind man. He's a gracious man. He fills her bags with full of food. He sends her home with more than she deserves. He commands his employees not to do anything to harm her. He protects her. He says, come and glean from my field as long as harvest is happening. A foreign foreigner, poor woman from, an, from, from another clan, another people comes into town and Boaz says, you are worthy to be loved and to be redeemed. Anybody write your own name in this story this morning? Write your name in this story. Boaz represents God. He represents our Savior Jesus Christ. And no matter where you come from and what story you have, You are written into His story if you receive Him. He is and will always be offering you redemption. An extraordinary, kind, and gracious Boaz. Where are you today? Have you met Jesus? Who is your Boaz? Have you received the kindness of the Father in heaven? Have you experienced His goodness? As Tanya was sharing this morning, she was sharing her own story. And Keith was sharing, what they were sharing was, in our place of journeying, our Redeemer has been kind and good to us. So we have been able to be kind and good to the children that God has given us, and God has as well. Ruth meets this this kinsman and she's blessed and in chapter 3 Brendan spoke last week that he he is approached by Ruth on the threshing floor as they're threshing the weed at night Uh, Naomi encourages her to go to him to give herself to him and she goes by faith Uh, what an what a bold and vulnerable move of Ruth to respond to her 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 mother-in-law's instruction to go to this man at night and possibly be shamed discovered for what she's doing, which was inappropriate, possibly to be rejected by this man that she, she knows but she doesn't know fully, all kinds of risk and vulnerability to go to, to go to him. But why did she go to him? Because she knew that her very life and the life of her mother-in-law depended on it. This man was her only hope. And she said to Boaz in the middle of the night, as as he he discovered that she was at his feet, would you cover me? A symbol or a a declaration of would you take me in to your family? Would you marry me? Would you be willing to have me as your bride? When we come to Jesus, I don't care who you are. If you're honest, you're not quite sure who you're coming to. And if you're coming with baggage, for those of you who don't have baggage, just hold on for a second for all the rest of us. If you're coming with baggage, if you're coming with pain and you're coming with hurt, because of how we're conditioned as humans, you're probably not quite sure at times how he's going to respond to you. The exchange of redemption of a broken, rebellious, 
whatever, put your adjective on your life or your adjectives, whoever you are, the exchange of what little you have for what we understand God to be, the creator of the universe, the one who holds all authority and dominion, the one who can do whatever he wants to, the one who has uh, uh, the power of life in his very words. We come into his presence. The exchange is vulnerable. What if this person that I've read about or that that person's talked about or this person that I think that I know this God, what if he's not like I hope he will be? This was Ruth's encounter with Boaz. Even though she'd seen glimpses of who he could be, she really didn't know who he was, what he was going to be like at her place of most vulnerable need until she took a step of faith to trust him. That is the gospel interaction with God. We come to God not because we have anything to demand of him. We have no power. We have nothing really to offer this wealthy, all-sufficient, hopefully benevolent king, but our lives. And we lay at his feet and we say, will you cover me? And this is what Romans says about that covering. Now to the one who works wages, now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly. Their faith is credited to them as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions, whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. It's the same picture. The one who has not worked, who has not earned a wage. Ruth coming into the fields, getting what she doesn't deserve. Getting blessed because because she's just blessed because he's good. Not because she deserves it. Coming into his presence and saying, would you accept me? Not because she deserves it. Because he's good. And he says, yes. The woman proposed to the man. And the man said, yes. The son or daughter proposes to the Lord. Lord, will you have me? He's already said he'll have us, but we come back to him and said, Lord, will you have me? And he covers us. He forgives us and he sets us free. All right, here we go. And now we just get into chapter four, which is today's, but we'll, 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 we gotta just, uh, we'll get there really quickly. So my question to you is, do you know this Boaz, do you know Jesus? Has he covered you? Has he blessed you? Has he protected you? Have you experienced the integrity and compassion, not the exploitation, not the shame, but the kindness and the covering of God? Chapter 4. So he says to Ruth, yes, but now he's got to make it right with the community. And so he goes out into the, to the, to the gates of the city and I'm going to let you read this on your own because I'm looking at the clock and I don't have a lot of time. But I'll, I'll paraphrase it for you. He goes out and it says he, he went to the town gate and took a seat there. 
and he sits among the people, and that, that, that town gate is kind of the place of community meeting. There's, there's oftentimes benches or chairs set out there that they, people can spend long times in the shade, and the coming and going of people throughout the city come through this gate. This is the place where people are going to see each other. And oftentimes the leaders of the city would sit in the town gates, and so Boaz goes there knowing he's going to meet who? He's going to meet the one person that's in line in front of him to redeem Ruth and Naomi. And he's going there to say, hey, Ruth and Naomi are here. Elimelech's land they're selling. It's to be bought. Do you, the one who is rightfully the one who can redeem them, want to redeem them? And so he meets their heir and there's elders of the town, the town that are sitting there. And so they form literally a council uh, an ad hoc council of elders who are witnessing this transaction, this conversation, and the person says, absolutely, I'll take the land. And, and Boaz says, oh, but there's one other condition. I just want you to know that you'll also have Ruth. You'll have to bring her into your family. And the heir says, no, I can't do that. That'll be too risky for me. Why was it risky for him? Because um, under family law or under this law of, of family redemption, if uh, he were to purchase the land and purchase uh, Ruth, uh, he, he, he would be committing to helping her have children. And if she had a son, then that son would be the rightful heir of the property of which he bought. So therefore, he would be buying property that he would be giving to Ruth's son and maybe losing that part of the inheritance, and it wasn't worth it to him. Whereas Boaz was saying, it's worth it to me. I want her and I want her son. And what's really cool about what Boaz says, um, he says that the man says, I cannot do it. And then Boaz makes the exchange and says, well, I will buy the land. And then he says to the elders of the crowd standing around him, I, you know, I wish, that, I wish that we could have audio on this because I think it went something like this. Have you ever been in a situation where you're just hoping that the person in front of you doesn't, doesn't, doesn't take the offer? You know, it's like you're second in line, and you're like, you know, whatever the case is, you know, you're like, oh, there's just one more, and, I, and it's me. And he knew that if this person took, took Ruth and took the land, took Ruth, that he wouldn't have the opportunity to bless her the way that he knew he would want to bless her and, their, and her family. And the guy says no, and I believe this is how the scripture is read. He's in the crowd, he's in the group, and he says, Ha ha! Ha ha ha! You are my witnesses today! He's exchanged the sandals, he's got the goods, he's, he's, he's the heir, he's the husband of Ruth, and he's going to be her redeemer. And he says, You are my witnesses today! I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, um, I'm having a hard time reading Kilion and Malon, and with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. He's excited. This way she can have a son, and listen to this, listen to this blessing. She can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You're my witnesses today. Did you hear that? Did you hear what he said? I heard it in Keith and Tanya's story today. Did you hear it? When they talked about Sophia and they said, you know what? Her mom got saved. We were praying for her mom. And we were able to love her daughter so that her mom could have the inheritance of a, a daughter who's well kept and blessed. And her mom got saved. And that's our story. 
We redeemed Sophia for a, a period of time, however long it would take, but we also brought her mom into our life. And her mom got saved, and that's my inheritance. That's what I'm hearing Keith say. And that's what was happening to Boaz. He didn't say, I got Ruth. All right, I got her land. And I'm going to have some more kids that are going to bear my name. Yeah, it's for me. He got excited because Elimelech's line was lengthened. God cares about your story. It goes on at the end of Ruth. The town celebrates. They speak blessing. There's a whole story there. Oh, I wish I could get to it. But they, they start singing praises and blessings over, over uh, their life. And they say, may, your, may, your, may you be prosperous and wealthy. And may, your, have, may your, your children be of the line of Rachel and Leah. And may they be um, like the, the descendants of Perez from... from uh, uh, from Tamar. Do you know that story? That's their line, but they bring out this part of the line's story because Tamar's story is very similar to Ruth's story. Tamar is married, and she, she loses her husband because her, uh, the, the Scripture says because her husband is evil. And then she is... Um, then Judah promises that he will. Uh, he, he tells his next son to marry her so that she can have children, and his next son doesn't want her to have any children from him, so he does evil by her, and he dies. And then Judah says, I'll give you my youngest son when he's old enough, but Judah doesn't really mean the promise. He lies to her, and he doesn't give his son to her. And so she remains a widow without the opportunity to have children because of Judah and his son's evil towards her. And then finally, she finds herself. It's just a crazy story. And I'm sharing it because I want you, want you to understand it's in Ruth for a reason. And so she sits on the side of the road and prostitutes herself to Judah. And Judah impregnates her. And then it's found out that she's pregnant by Judah, her, father, uh, her father-in-law. And they're going to kill her because she's prostituted herself. And then she says, well, my my child's father is the person who owns this. And it was Judah's stuff. And Judah repents of his wickedness. And then God blesses her with twins. And guess who one of those twins was? Perez. And so the city is saying, may you be blessed, Ruth, in your story, just like Tamar was blessed in her story in birth, Perez. May the blessing of our dysfunction and our brokenness come with the inheritance of God's favor and goodness. Amen? Every dysfunctional person in this room say hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. And that was probably loud enough. God, we're blessed. And he wrote it in Scripture. He said, you know what? I'm going to prophesy through these people, Perez. Because we all are Perez's. Blessed by the blessing of God. And what is the end of that line and the end of that chapter? Who is Perez? But the great-grandfather of David. The king. The glorious king. And what is David? But the ancestor in the line of Jesus. Ruth. Line of Jesus. 
Moabite woman found favor in God. And your line is the same line and the same story. And we put our hope in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Worship you, Lord. Worship you, Lord. Worship you, Jesus. Lord, I am in your story. And I'm praying for me. You can pray for you. Everybody in here, we're in his story. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are in his story. We receive what we don't deserve. Forgiveness, salvation, eternal life, friendship with the living God. And on and on, favor and blessing because we are his children. Lord, we rejoice in you. We thank you. Lord, I pray right now in this room that as we've heard Keith and Tanya's story, but we've also heard the story of Ruth and we've heard your word expressed. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this room who is wanting to experience the favor that you extended to Ruth and Naomi, who is wanting to experience the favor that you extended to Sophia and her family. Lord, I pray, Lord, that there would be courage in this room to approach you and say, Jesus, would you cover me? Would you forgive me? Would you protect me? Would you take me in? I believe in you, and I want you to be my Savior. Lord, if there's any person in this room that's in that place, would you communicate to their heart right now? Would you invite them to your family. And Lord, I pray that if, uh, I pray for all, all the rest of us, Lord, or those in the room that are hearing the story and rem being reminded of your forgiveness and your grace in our lives, Lord, that that, that uh, encounter with you and the encounters that have come since that time of salvation would be renewed in a fresh way in our hearts, that fresh thankfulness and worship would fill our hearts right now. But not just that, God. I pray that we would extend, as we've talked about, our fills for others. That we would have lives that invite people to glean in our fields. That our blessing and generosity would flow from our life to those in need. Lord, that we would engage each other and engage this community with that kind of courage. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to end the service right here. But if you, if you encountered, as I was praying, if you were one of the people that were like, I, I'm in a new place with God. I, I don't know if I've experienced the kind of redemption you're talking about. I'd love to talk to you after the service. Or if you came with somebody you trust that you know knows God, have, have a conversation with them. Don't let this moment pass. The second thing I would say is we've got some resources up here. Uh, I think Brendan passed them out last week, but we've got some resources um, that share with you how to do, uh, to do a couple of things, or there's some encouragement for a couple of things. One, this little blue, blue um, bookmark, or whatever color it is, um, it, it will help you have... Uh, a time of engagement with somebody else or another couple or another family in hearing each other's stories. 
And along with this is, if you, is, is, a, is a deeper explanation or guide for that kind of conversation. Laura and I had the opportunity to, to uh, spend some time with Ben and May this week. I was going to share a little bit of their story, but I, I'm, I'll share it another time, Ben. But we, we were able to sit down this week and share, share a, a, a cup of tea and some muffins and stories with our brother and our sister. And I am a deeper, I, I have deeper affection and love for Ben and May in their story. And I am more committed to them than ever to see their story reproduced within the life of this community and within our church. And I pray that the same is true for them, that the bit that they got from us extended grace and a desire for them to walk deeply with us as well. These these kind of engagements take time. They take pause in our life, but they're worth it. The second thing is that on this card are some ways in which you can pray. And so we have some prayer guides. We have some prayer guides that you can pick up as well for the foster care system, um, both a, a short sheet and a longer packet of information. If you heard something within Keith and Tanya's story that your next step is, God, would you begin to use me as a person who prays? Then I would encourage you to do this uh, because your prayers matter. And they matter for a couple of reasons. They matter because God hears your prayers for those that are journeying in the foster care system as, as orphans or moms or ones who are serving and caring for foster kids. Uh, so your prayers matter, but also when you pray, guess what happens? God speaks to you. It's, it's, a little, it's a Trojan horse. I just want you to know that. You pick up, you pick up this packet of material. We're thinking that maybe some of you are God's going to speak to. But that would be awesome. Be blessed. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you in life groups this week. Get your children.